I went and took a walk this evening. I try to walk every day, and and I got to enjoying the walk so much I forgot how far I was away. I got clear to Daltham down here, and then I realized it was an hour was getting late, and I had to get back and preach. Well, so I double, I uh, increased my pace and grabbed a little bit to eat, and I'm here. Uh, the subject for this evening is the three angels' messages. And uh, as I have said once before, that is the, probably the most misunderstood subject in the Adventist church. You see, if you don't understand the three angels' messages, you won't understand the cleansing of the sanctuary. And the, the reason why you probably don't understand those two is because you've already taken the wrong position on what nature Jesus had. Because the nature of Christ is the key. If you take the wrong position on the nature of Christ, if you believe that he was like Adam before the fall, then you've opened yourself for a tremendous delusion because you will, in that concept, you will, dis, you will, uh, you will distort everything that's important to salvation. Because if he was that much different than we are, then you've naturally... Uh, created the best excuse that human beings could devise for um, for saying that he uh, he could keep the commandments, but you can't keep them. And uh, if you accept that position and you move from cause to effect, the next thing that's going to happen is that you will be satisfied with justification only and let sanctification be something that happens just before Jesus comes. And if you can accept that, then you will accept the other, which goes with that, which says that the atonement then can be completed at the cross. And if you have agreed on that part, then you move to the next position, and that would be that you could accept then that Jesus is not your mediator, and therefore not your example, and therefore that you don't need a sanctuary. You see, if you don't need a main mediator, you don't know you need of a sanctuary. And if you can accept that, then the next thing would be to ex- that you could reject 1844 and the remnant church, uh, the Seventh-day Adventist uh, as the remnant church. And that is exactly the what has happened to thousands of people in Adventism is that they started in the wrong position on the nature of Christ and by moving from cause to effect they created in the beginning a, a beautiful excuse for not keeping the commandments of God and they kept moving from cause to effect until they talked themselves out of the church. So the three angels' messages, the nature of Jesus and the cleansing of the sanctuary are probably the most uh, three the most important doctrines in the Seventh-day Adventist church. Tragically, on the cleansing of the sanctuary, we uh, decided that it is just a judicial act of God and therefore it has nothing to do with us. But one of the reasons that Jesus has been unable to come is because we do not have not realized that he cannot cleanse the most holy until he has a people on earth that understand that their own soul temple has to be cleansed before he can cleanse the most holy in heaven. And uh, as you begin to analyze these important doctrines that God has given to us and the misunderstandings of these important doctrines are responsible for us being in this world tonight. 
because as we talked earlier in the day that God had a plan in which shortly after 1844 we are told that he wanted to finish his work. And if we had accepted the marvelous truths that God had in, in the three angels' messages, if we had understood the, the cleansing of the sanctuary, then uh, without a question God would have moved mightily and the, upon his church, his people, and this message would have gone to the church and then out to the world in the loud cry, and Jesus would have returned long before this. But it is because of the misunderstandings that we are here, but we must clear up the misunderstandings so that this church can have its opportunity of understanding why we exist as a church. You see, if you take the third angel's message away and you misunderstand the cleansing of the sanctuary and you misunderstand the nature that he had, you then have given your, a, a perfect opportunity for the uh, misunderstanding of the gospel. In the Review and Herald, September 3rd, 1889, it says, The enemy of God and man is not willing that truth should be clearly presented, for he knows that if the people receive it, his power will be broken. And so, tragically, the truth that God had intended that this church should take hold of and should be able to then, by a demonstration in their lives, be able to take out to the world, uh, that truth has been held back from the church, from the people, and it has sterilized us to the point that we have no power to finish God's work in this fatal and final hour. Now, the three angels' messages uh, are very important to this church because we have used those three angels as a symbol of our message. We put it in front of the church, we put it behind the pulpit, in front of the pulpit, we put it on everything we print, and yet hardly anybody knows what it's all about. Are these mics on? And uh, as we begin to, to see that the devil has been very, very happy because we have not understood the third angel's message. Reading from Review and Herald, November 19, 1908, the Lord said in inspiration to Ellen White, the third angel's message is to lighten the earth with its glory, but only those who have withstood temptation in the strength of the mighty one will be preserved and be permitted to act a part in proclaiming it to the world when it swells to the loud cry. Now, let us turn to volume 6 uh, of the testimonies and read from on page 17. We get a little explanation of what those angels are all about. Three, the three angels of Revelation 14 are represented are represented <clears throat> as flying in the midst of heaven, symbolizing the work of those who proclaim the first and second and third angels' messages. All are linked together. 
the evidences of the abiding, ever-living truth of these grand messages that mean so much to the church, that awaken such intense opposition from the religious world, are not extinct. Satan is constantly seeking to cast a shadow about these messages so that the people of God shall not clearly discern their import, their time and place, but they live and are to exert their power upon our religious experience while time shall last. So what we see here is that these, these angels are only symbols uh, represented as symbolizing the work of those who proclaim the first and second and third angels' message. In the commentary on volume 7 on page 978 and 79, we read this important inspired message. It says, Christ is coming the second time with power to salvation to prepare human beings for this event. He has sent the first and second and third angels' messages. These angels represent those who receive the truth with power and open the gospel to the world. So those angels are you and represent you and I. When we have a when we are ready to demonstrate in our life the power of God, we are those angels. Now in in the uh, evangelism 196. The theme of the greatest importance is the third angel's message, embracing the message of the first and second angels. All should understand the truths contained in these messages and demonstrate them in their daily life. For this is essential to uh, salvation. We shall have to study earnestly and prayerfully in order to understand these grand truths and in our power to learn and comprehend will be taxed to the utmost. So what we see, the third angel's message, it embraces the first and second angels. All should understand the truths contained in these messages and demonstrate them in daily life for they, this is essential to our salvation. So what we see is that it is a demonstration. A demonstration of the power of God in the life. And as we begin to look at these angels' messages now and begin to apply them tonight, if you will turn to your Bibles now to the 14th chapter and the 6th verse and onward in the book of Revelation, we'll look at these angels' messages. Remembering now that they are only symbols of people, they represent you and I when we have committed our minds and our lives into the keeping of the Lord and we have the power of Jesus reigning in our hearts, then we can put on a demonstration. I saw another angel flying in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach unto them that dwell upon the earth and to every nation and kindred and tongue and people, saying with a loud voice, Fear God and give glory to Him, for the hour of His judgment is come. And worship Him that made heaven and the earth and the seas and the fountains of waters. 
As we begin to analyze this first angel's message, we find that it has three distinct parts. The first part is that it says the everlasting gospel. The second part is the judgment our message. The third part is a call to worship God who commanded the world into existence. And uh, we must remember that as this message, this first angel's message came in its, uh, in its glory and its power in back in 1843 and 4, that it carried an experience with that message. There were 700 preachers of all denominations who were called to, to give that message, and they, we are told by historians probably around 100,000 people embraced that message back there. We know the tragedy of that time because the majority of the people of that time that accepted the midnight cry message, the third angel's, the, the first angel's message, then rejected it and turned went back into the Babylon church. And Ellen White makes it clear in volume one, Selected Messages 63, that she said when they did this, they went out in darkness. The door was shut. So as we examine the first part, the everlasting gospel, what is it? The everlasting gospel is something that has been in existence from the day of the first day of sin. God immediately uh, provided a plan and where man could have another chance. That was the everlasting gospel. Jesus came walking into the garden and there he found these two sinners and he, he embraced them and he immediately gave them the everlasting gospel. Jesus is that gospel. And he offered himself. He now became the lamb slain from the foundations of the world. He offered him his life in place of their life. He accepted their death so they might have life again. And we find that the everlasting gospel, my friends, is that if you, have, if you receive the power of Jesus day by day in your life, then you have right to eternal life. That is the everlasting gospel. When you find that you recognize that you are a sinner and that you call upon the name Jesus and are willing to be made willing to give your life and mind so completely to the life of Jesus, then immediately the power of Jesus is your power because his faith is your faith, his life is your life. And with that, my friends, you can, you can have life everlasting. The second part of that message that was given in 1843 and 4 was the call uh, to the judgment hour time, the judgment hour message. We know that the end of the 2300 days, as they expired on 22nd of October 1844, we find there that, they, that something uh, happened, that Jesus moved from his holy place into the most holy place, and the, he became the mediator for the fallen race, and we find him now as uh, we find the judgment has set. You turn back to Daniel 7, 8, 9, and 10, and you will find there a picture of the judgment scene. And this is exactly what was taking place in 1844, is when Jesus moved from the holy into the holy, the judgment was set. And the books were open. And therefore, all that had died in the message... Through the ages of time, their names were now subject to come up in judgment. And then as we come to the third part of the first angel's message, we find there that, that 
at the time of these messages, 1843 and 4, it was already Darwin's theories of evolution that were making inroads into the educational system of the world. And the, we find that, uh, that evolution was permeating almost every educational institution. And at that time, it was a call to worship a God who could speak and make a world, who could command and make it stand fast. <coughs> As we begin to, to look at the second angel's message, the second angel's message is Babylon is fallen, is fallen. As we look at early writings, on page 277, we read this inspired statement. It says, I saw angels hurrying to and fro in heaven, descending to the earth, and again ascending to heaven, preparing for the fulfillment of some important event. Then I saw another mighty angel commissioned to descend to the earth, to unite his voice with the third angel, and give power and force to his message. Great power and glory were imparted to the angel, and as he descended, the earth was lightened with his glory. The light which attended this angel penetrated everywhere as he cried mightily with a strong voice, Babylon the great is fallen, is fallen and is become the habitation of devils and the hold of every foul spirit and the cage of every unclean and hateful bird. The message of the fall of Babylon as given by the second angel is repeated with additional mention of corruptions which have been entering the churches since 1844. The work of this angel comes in at the right time to join the last great work of the third angel's message as it swells to a loud cry. And the people of God are thus prepared to stand in the hour of temptation, which they are soon to meet. I saw a great light resting upon them, and they united to fearlessly proclaim the third angel's message. Angels were sent to aid the mighty angel from heaven, and I heard voices which seemed to sound everywhere, Come out of her, my people, that ye be not partakers of her sins, and that ye receive not of her plagues. For her sins have reached unto heaven, and God hath remembered her iniquities. This message seemed to be an addition to the third angel's message, joining it as the midnight cry joined the second angel's message in 1844. The glory of God rested upon the patient waiting saints, and they fearlessly gave the last solemn warning proclaiming the fall of Babylon and the calling upon God's people to come out of her that they might escape her fearful doom. And so as we gave, as the second angel's message was given back in 1843 and 4, again that message must be repeated with additional force. As the fourth angel comes down and joins the second angel's message, the third angel's message gives it additional force, and it says, Come out! Come out of her, my people, and be not partakers of her sins, for her sins have reached unto heaven. As we look at the Selected Messages, Volume 2, page 104 and 105. It says, the first, the first and second messages were given in 43 and 4, 
We are now in the proclamation of the third, but all three of the messages are still to be proclaimed. It is just as essential now as ever before that they shall be repeated to those who are seeking for the truth. By pen and voice we are to sound the proclamation showing their order, the application of the prophecies that bring us to the third angel's message. There cannot be a third without the first and the second. These messages we are to give to the world in publications, in discourses showing in the line of prophetic history the things that have been and the things that will be. So what we see here is that those messages now must be repeated. Before there can be a third, there must be a first, there must be a second angel's message. So we must preach again the first, we must preach again the second. And when we preach the third, all of these joined together by the power of the fourth angel joining them, it will then swell this message into a loud cry and prepare the world for the soon coming of Jesus. Now, as we begin to look at the third angel's message, we find there that the, this is the greatest warning that has ever been d written in the, in the inspired testimony. There has never been a time in Scripture where a warning has been so, so direct as the third angel. Listen, and the third angel followed them, saying with a loud voice, If any man worship the beast in his image and receive his mark in his forehead or in his hand, the same shall drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out without mixture into the cup of his indignation, and he shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment ascendeth up for ever and ever, and they have no rest day nor night who worship the beast and his image, whosoever receiveth the mark of his name. Now, tragedy is that many Seventh-day Adventists have felt very comfortable in that they would, since they do go to church on Sabbath, and that they are Seventh-day Adventists, that they will not receive of this terrible calamity that is prophesied here in the ninth to the eleventh verses of the fourteenth of the chapter of Revelation. But, my friends, we must now go back and review that the third angel's message is to put on a demonstration. It is not actually angels flying through the air. They're only representative, or they are, they, they are to represent a people or symbols of a people that are on earth who understand perfect law-keeping by the, by the power of Jesus Christ working in their lives. And as we begin to see that this power can only come to individuals who are willing to be made willing to yield their minds and wills to so completely to God that God then can control every thought, word, and action. And the, that, that experience is then summarized in the 12th verse. Here is the patience of the saints. Here are they that keep the commandments of God and have the faith of Jesus. You see, if you've got Jesus' faith, then you can have Jesus' patience. And if you've got Jesus' patience, you can keep the law perfectly. 
So, as remember, <coughs> in the third uh, in the third chapter, I mean, um, Selected Messages, Volume Three, one hundred and seventy or sixty-eight, we read uh, this inspired statement. And this comes from the chapter on the Minneapolis Conference of 1888. Elder E.J. Wagner had the privilege granted him of speaking plainly and presenting his views upon justification by faith and the righteousness of Christ in relationship to the law. This was no new light, but it was old light place where it should be in the third angel's message. What is the burden of that message? John sees a people. He says, here is the patience of the saints. Here are they that keep the commandments of God and have the faith of Jesus. Revelation fourteen twelve. This people, this people John beholds just before he sees the Son of Man having on his head a golden crown and in his hand a sharp sickle. The faith of Jesus has been overlooked and treated in an indifferent, careless manner. It has not occupied the prominent position in which it was revealed to John. Faith in Christ as the sinner's only hope has been largely left out, not only of the discourses given, but of the religious experience of very many who claim to believe the third angel's message. So what, has, what happened back there is that they, as I brought out in my previous sermon, that they had they preached law, 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 but they were unable to understand that you must put the faith of Jesus and the law together, and then you have a complete gospel. Without it, you have a half a gospel, and the half a gospel is no gospel, and that means without the gospel, you cannot reach the world, you cannot finish God's work, God can never cut it work, his work short in righteousness until the whole gospel is together. And to get that whole gospel, we must have the law here, and the faith of Jesus here, and then bring them together. And when they are together, my friends, there is power, and that power will bring a people who are ready and willing to sacrifice anything and everything in their life so that they can have that experience that is to uh, become the latter rain and will swell this great third angel's message into the loud cry. Again, that's 168 of volume 3 uh, of selected messages. Again, from volume, that same thing over in 172. We read this once. I'll read it again. The third angel's message is the proclamation of the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus Christ. The commandments have been proclaimed and the faith of Jesus Christ has not been proclaimed by Seventh-day Adventists as of equal importance, the law and the gospel going hand in hand. I cannot find a language to express this subject in its fullness. And then going over to 184, we read again from Inspired Testimony, the soul-saving message, the third angel's message, is the message to be given to the world. The commandments of God and the faith of Jesus are both important, immensely important, and must be given with equal force and power. The first part of the message has been dwelt upon mostly, the last part casually. The faith of Jesus is not comprehended. We must talk it, we must live it, we must pray it, and educate our people to bring this part of the message into their home life. 
Let this mind be in you, which is also in Christ Jesus. Philippians 2.5 So the missing link in the Adventist message that we've been trying to preach to the world is the faith of Jesus. And with the faith of Jesus is the power of Jesus. And the power of Jesus, my friends, will put on a demonstration. And that demonstration must be done in the home and in the life. And when our homes are ready to demonstrate, when our lives are ready to demonstrate, it won't take God long to pour out His Holy Spirit in the latter rain. Do you believe that? As you read in the book of Evangelism, um, on page 701, we read this inspired statement. It says the descent of the Holy Spirit upon the church and is looked forward to as in the future, but it is the privilege of the church to have it now. We seek for it, pray for it, believe for it. We must have it, and heaven is waiting to bestow it. And over on 699, <clears throat> when we have the entire wholehearted consecration to the service of Christ, God will recognize the fact by the outpouring of the Spirit without measure. But this will not be while the largest portion of the church are not labors together with God. And the disciples did not ask for a blessing for themselves. They were weighted with the burden of the souls. The gospel was to be carried to the ends of the earth, and they claimed the endowment of the power of Christ had promised. Then it was that the Holy Spirit was poured out. Thousands were converted in a day. I saw jets of light shining from cities and villages and from high places and low places of the earth. God's word was obeyed, and as a result there were memorials for him in every city and village. His truth was proclaimed throughout the world. Hundreds and thousands were seen visiting homes and families, uh, opening before them the word of God. Hearts were convicted by the power of the Holy Spirit, and a spirit of genuine conversion was manifest on every side, doors, were thrown open to the proclamation of the truth. The world seemed to be lightened with a heavenly influence. As the time comes for the message of the third angel to be given with greatest power, the Lord will work through humble instruments, leading minds of those who will consecrate themselves to his service. Laborers will, will be qualified rather by the unction of his spirit than by the training of literary institutions. Men of faith and prayer will be constrained to go forth with holy zeal, declaring the words which God has given them. The sins of Babylon will be laid open, the fearful results of enforcing the observance of the, of the church by civil authority, the inroads of spiritualism, and stealthily but rapid progress of the papal power, all will be unmasked. By these solemn warnings, the people will be stirred. Thousands upon thousands will listen who have never heard words like these. 700, it's also found in Great Controversy 606. My friends, that is what the third angel's message is to accomplish. It is, put on, it is to put on a mass demonstration of the power of God in the individual life. And that message has been held down now for years and years. It, it must come forth now with the power that God is waiting to demonstrate in your life and in my life if we're willing to let him do it. As we begin to see that the end is much nearer than our minds can begin to comprehend tonight. 
If we could open our eyes as Elisha's servant, our eyes were open and he saw the, 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 the armies of uh, God's angels around. If our eyes could be opened like that, we would see a marvelous thing begin to take place. We would see thousands of angels ascending and descending. If we could look into heaven today, we could see that all heaven is astir, getting ready for the very last act in this great drama of the great controversy. Very soon, Jesus Christ will throw down his censer, and probation will cease. And those that are filthy will be filthy still, and those that are righteous will be righteous still. And my friends, that hour is much nearer than our minds will uh, want to uh, comprehend tonight. Probation will soon close. Suddenly, if you go to volume 7 of the commentary 989, it says there that probation closes suddenly, unexpectedly. If you read Desire of Ages, page uh, Desire of Ages 635 and 636, it talks about that hour. The world full of rioting, full of godless pleasure is asleep, asleep in carnal security. Men are putting afar off the coming of the Lord. They laugh at warnings. The proud boast is made. All things continue as they were from the beginning. Tomorrow shall be of this day and much more abundant. We will go deeper into pleasure loving, but Christ says, Behold, I come as a thief. At the very time when the world is asking in scorn, Where is the promise of his coming? The signs are fulfilling. While they cry peace and safety, sudden destruction is coming. When the scorner, the rejecter of truth, has become presumptuous. When the routine work in various money-making lines is carried on without regard to principle. When the student is eagerly seeking knowledge of everything but his Bible. Christ comes as a thief. Everything in the world is in agitation. The signs of the times are ominous. Coming events cast their shadows before. The Spirit of God is withdrawing from the earth, and calamity follows calamity by sea and by land. There are tempests and earthquakes and fires and floods and murders of every grade. Who can read the future? Where is security? There is assurance in nothing that is human or earthly. Rapidly under it, men are arranging themselves under the banner they have chosen. Restlessly they are waiting and watching the movements of their leaders. There are those who are waiting and watching the working for our Lord's appearing. Another class are falling into the line of the generalship of the great apostate. Few believe with heart and soul that, that we have a hell to shun and a heaven to win. The crisis is stealing gradually upon us. The sun shines in, it, in the heavens and passes over its usual round. The heavens do still declare the glory of God. Men are still eating and drinking and planning and building and marrying and giving in marriage. Merchants are still buying and selling. Men are jostling one against another, contending for the highest place. Pleasure lovers are still crowding to the theaters, the horse races, the gambling hells. The highest excitement prevails, yet probation's hour is fast closing, and every case is about to be eternally decided. Satan sees that his time is short. He has set all his agencies at work that men may be deceived, deluded, occupied, and entranced until the day of probation shall be ended and the door of mercy be forever shut. My friends, those paragraphs describe the, the very day in which we live. You could have verified everything that I read there on the evening newscast 
on your television set. We are living in a fateful hour, in a climatic hour, in a glorious hour, in a wonderful hour, because soon it will all finish. Soon Jesus will appear. Soon, my friends, the seven plagues will fall upon the earth. Soon probation will have ceased, and men will either be good or bad. Men will either be righteous or unrighteous. There will be no time to change. The Sunday laws are hanging on our horizon today. It only takes one great international crisis to throw us into a Sunday law situation. And let me tell you, the religious leaders of the world are already standing ready for that moment, and instantly they will be in the courts of law and in the jurisdiction of the, uh, of the legislatures and things of this nature where this will happen almost instantly. Tragically, many Seventh-day Adventists are waiting for a Sunday law to get them ready. But what we have failed to know and to believe and understand is that when those Sunday laws are inaugurated, you're either right or wrong. And there'll be no time to change. And this is why the third angel's message, my friends, must be put on as a demonstration in your life today and in my life today because God will soon have a mass demonstration all over this world. There will be a mass demonstration of the third angel's message because God has a people around this world that believe that God has enough power to keep them from sin. And that's the third angel's message in verity. As you read in evangelism, you read in Evangelism, page 196. I read it today. I'll read it again. It says, The theme of greatest importance is the third angel's message, embracing the message of the first and second angels. All should understand the truths contained in these messages and demonstrate them in daily life, for this is essential to salvation. We shall have to study earnestly, prayerfully, in order to understand these grand truths and our power to learn and comprehend will be taxed to the utmost. So what we must understand, my friends, the third angel's message, yes, it is justification in verity. It is the third angel's message in verity. Justification by faith. Whose faith? Jesus' faith in you. And when you have justification by faith, you have sanctification by faith. And with those two comes the power of God into the life to keep you from sin. This means, this means that every day you have to merge your will with God's will and immediately God does something. He gives you his mind and with his mind now you can think his thoughts and with his thoughts, my friends, and his power that he places into your life, you can live his life. And he says, I will clothe you with the garment of my righteousness. Now tomorrow, tomorrow I'm going to speak to you on the how of getting into that relationship. But friends, as we close tonight, reading again from volume 6, page 14, we have this inspired statement. We are standing upon the threshold of great and solemn events, Prophecies are fulfilling. 
Strange eventful history is being recorded in the books of heaven. Everything in our world is in agitation. There are wars and rumors of wars. The nations are angry. The time of the dead has come that they should be judged. Events are changing to bring about the day of God, which hasteneth greatly. Only a moment of time, as it were, yet remains. But while already nation is rising against nation and kingdom against kingdom, there is not now a general engagement. As yet the four winds are held until the servants of God shall be sealed in their foreheads. Then the powers of earth will marshal their forces for the last great battle. Did you get this? It goes on, it enumerates all these things that are happening today. It says prophecies are fulfilling. We're on the th standing on the threshold of great and solemn events. Strange event for history is recorded. Everything is in the world's agitation. Wars, rumors of wars, nations are angry. And then it goes on. Only a moment of time as it were yet remains. While already nation is rising against nation, kingdom against kingdom, there is not now a general engagement, but it says there will be. Not now, but there will be a general engagement. That means I see another world war coming to this world before it is over with. And yet the four winds are held until the servants of God shall be sealed in their foreheads then the powers of earth will marshal their forces for the last great battle. So the only thing that keeps that battle from taking place tomorrow morning, my friends, is God is waiting for the sealing of his people. And when he has a people that are ready to accept the power that he's ready to give and are willing to live for him and him only, or ready to practice self-denial and sacrifice, who believe with all their heart and soul that he's coming soon, and they have one great drive in, uh, in their hearts, and that is to share their love for Christ with everyone they come in contact. When God has enough of those, it won't take God long to put on a demonstration. I believe they're in every country of the world right now. Many of them are not even in the Adventist church yet, but God is preparing them out there and getting them ready to put on the demonstration. And when they hear the third angel's message, they will believe it, understand it, accept it. And my friends, they, as they come to the close of this world's history, there is going to be a great thrust that God will make through the world that will shake the world to its foundation. And there will be a time of trouble like there never was since there was a nation. That fourth angel, my friends, is going to come again to this world. I believe that he has already come down as he did in 1888. He came down to join the third angel's message. But my friends, there wasn't enough to accept the message and put on the demonstration. So he had to go back. But my friends, I believe he is here again. And I've traveled and preached over most of this world in Europe and down through the Far East and in the Australia and New Zealand and all across North America and England. And I find, my friends, God is getting a people together. Do you believe that? God is pulling them together. Little groups here, little groups there. And wherever I go, we meet in places like this or in a home 
are in a hall, and they come from far and near because they believe, and they want to hear more. They want to understand all truth, and their hearts are glad when they hear truth, and they go home praising God because they've heard truth, and they want to do. They want to leave off their their type of work that they've been doing and go full time into the Lord's work. That's everywhere I go. I've met you here. Many of you here want to know how you can do full time for Jesus Christ. And God is putting an army together. Let me tell you, He's putting an army together. But before He can have an army, He has to have some generals and captains and lieutenants and sergeants. And then He can put an army together. And I believe that He's bringing it all together now. We're going, God's going to have His army. And it's going to be a victorious army. You read in volume 8, uh, on volume 8, page, page 41, this marvelous display of the last great battle. In the vision I saw two armies in terrible conflict. One army was led by the banners bearing the world's insignia. The other was led by the blood-stained banner of Prince Emmanuel. Standard after standard was left to trail in the dust as company after company from the Lord's army joined the foe and tribe after tribe from the ranks of the enemy united with the commandment-keeping people of God. An angel flying in the midst of heaven put the standard of Emmanuel into, my, into many hands. And while a mighty general cried out with a loud voice, Come in the line! Let those who are loyal to the commandments of God and the testimony of Christ now take their positions. Come out from among them and be separate and touch not the unclean. And I will receive you and be a father unto you and ye shall be my sons and daughters. Let all who will come up to the help of the Lord to the help of the Lord against the mighty. The battle raged. Victory alternated from side to side. Now the soldiers of the cross gave way as when a standard bearer fainteth. Isaiah ten eighteen. But their apparent retreat was but to gain a more advantageous position. Shouts of joy were heard. A song of praise to God went up. Angels' voices united in the song as Christ's soldiers planted his banner on the walls of fortresses till then held by the enemy. The captain of our salvation was ordering the battle, sending support to his soldiers. His power was mightily displayed, encouraging them to press the battle to the gates. He taught them terrible things in righteousness as he led them on step by step, conquering to conquer. At last the victory is won. The army following the banner with the inscription, the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus was gloriously triumphant. The soldiers of Christ were, were close beside the gates of the city, and with a joy the city received her king. The kingdom of peace and joy and everlasting righteousness were established. Now the church is militant. Now we are confronted with a world in the midnight darkness, almost wholly given over to idolatry. But the day is coming which the battle will have been fought, the victory will have been won. The will of God is to be done on earth as it is done in heaven. Then the nations will own, own, own no other law than the law of heaven. All will be happy, united family, clothed with the garments of praise and thanksgiving, the robe of Christ's righteousness. My friends, that battle is now engaged. And the battle is going like you can't believe it. Some of us who God has placed in the front lines of this, of this great war that has been raging for 6,000 years, who are, uh, <clears throat> you see, in every, in every war, those of you who have been in war know that when the time to get out of the trenches, out of the foxholes, you wish you were a 1,000 miles away. 
But I believe, friends, it's time to get out of the foxholes and the trenches now. And the battle is engaged. The third angel's message will be victorious. That message, my friends, is a, is a message of victory over sin. A message that must this world must hear, must understand, believe, and practice before they, they can be saved. And it is our responsibility to carry that message. Yes, carry it to the very gates. Only those. Only those. Only those. Who are ready to face the battle will be victorious. It says that the devil, if possible, would deceive the very elect. And he's almost been victorious in that in the Adventist church by selling us a false gospel. But the real gospel is the third angel's message in verity. It is justification by faith that Christ has enough power to keep you from sinning it, it says that if you accept that power, that no matter what your weakness is, no matter what your problem is, that God has the power to give you victory over that sin. In volume one of the Testimonies 144, we can overcome, yes, fully, entirely. Jesus died to make a way of escape for us that we can overcome every evil temper, every sin, every temptation to sit down at last with him. You believe that? As your soul yearns after God, you will find more and still more of his unsearchable riches of his grace. As you contemplate these riches, you'll become into possession of them and reveal the merits of the Savior's sacrifice, the protection of His righteousness, that He might present you before the Father without spot and blameless. That's Acts of the Apostles 567. Oh, friends, as we approach this marvelous theme of salvation, must we that we might understand what the price is. The price is this, that you must be ready first to give up your life. Because many of us in this room may be doing it so. If you look at Revelation 20, verse 4, you'll find there that these people became martyrs because they refused the mark of the beast. If you look at Maranatha 199, she says there very clearly that there will be many martyrs as we approach the end before probation closes. And when you are willing and ready to give up your life now, then you are ready to become a soldier in the great army of Christ. It means that, that to be, an, to be a, a soldier in the army of Christ that we must prepare for that experience because every soldier has to go through training. Those of us who have served in the army know the training that you must go through. Jesus ha also has a, an army and he expects you to go through training. And that training is in the word of God. That training is in these books. And daily we must be feasting upon the word of God. Memorize it, memorize it, memorize it, friend. 
Wherever I go, I carry my little memory cards along. When I'm sitting on an airplane or walking in the more walking on the walk as I did this evening, I memorize scripture, rememorize scripture because every time I go over these beautiful Bible texts, I visualize it, I memorize it, I visualize it, and I personalize it. And it brings an experience into your life. And my friends, the only way to beat the devil is to Use scripture. That's the way Jesus beat the devil. It says if you resist the devil, he shall what? Flee from you. And my friends, when you start quoting scripture to the devil, he gets going. And if you're tempted, you can never be tempted more than you're able if you're willing to be made willing to merge your will with God. It says these things were written for our, our admonition on whom the ends of the world were come. Let him that thinketh he standeth take heed lest he fall. For there is no temptation taken you, but such is common to man. But God is faithful and will not suffer you to be tempted more than you're able and with, will with the temptation make a way of escape and you will bear it if you, Jesus has your will. And you will have the power of God not only to resist temptation, but you have now the power of God to put on a demonstration for the world and for the Seventh-day Adventist Church. Yes, the three angels' messages. What are they? They are the everlasting gospel which that gospel has never changed in 6,000 years. It's the same gospel that God, Jesus gave to Adam and Eve the day they sinned. He provided a plan where they could be saved, where he could take their place, accept their penalty, accept their death so that they might have life. If they would give their will back to God, then with their will in God's hands, then God could give their faith put the faith of Jesus into their life, and with the faith of Jesus in their life, then they could have the righteousness of Christ once again. And with the righteousness of Christ, then character building would begin again. Because you see, at the time of their fall, they were building a character. And that character building stopped the minute they sinned. And the only way character building could go on is when they gave their will back to God and God put into their life Jesus' faith. And with Jesus' faith, they had Jesus' righteousness. With Jesus' right, righteousness, now with his power, that they could live his life. And then he would clothe them with a garment of his righteousness. That is the everlasting gospel. That is the third angel's message in verse. It means, my friends, the instant that Adam returned his will to God, he was justified, he was sanctified, the Holy Spirit came into his life, provided him the power to keep from sinning again. And we have no record that he ever sinned again. As long as Adam kept his will with God, the power of God was there to keep him from sin. Yes, the second part of that first angel's message was the hour of his judgment is come. That applied, my friends, 
1844, but it has a greater application today. It has an application in the judgment of the living, which is soon to begin. Remember, I read from volume 6, volume 6, page 130. I read it today. I'll read it again to you. If the Holy Spirit is at work, divine agencies are combining with the human in reshaping the character according to the perfection, perfect pattern, and man is to work out that which God works in. Will we as a people do this God-given work? Will we carefully heed all the light that has been given, keeping constantly before the, the, the light, uh, the, the one object of fitting students for the kingdom of God? If by faith we advance step by step in the right way, following the great leader, light will shine along our pathway and circumstances will occur to remove difficulties. The approval of God will give hope and ministering angels will cooperate with us, bringing light and grace and courage and gladness. And then let no more time be lost in dwelling upon many things which are not essential, which have no bearing upon the present necessities of God's people. Let no more time be lost in exalting men who know not the truth, for the time is at hand. There is no time now to fill the mind with theories of what is popular called higher education. The time devoted to that which does not tend to assimilate the soul to the likeness of Christ is so much time lost for eternity. This we cannot afford, for every moment is freighted with eternal interest. Now, when the great work of judging the living is about to begin, shall we allow unsanctified ambition to take possession of the heart and lead us to neglect the education required to meet the needs in this day of peril. In every case, the great decision is to be made whether we shall receive the mark of the beast or his image or the seal of the living God. Now, the judgment of the living will soon begin. The time has come that the judgment must be forgiven first at the house of God and it first began of us. What shall the end be of those that obey not the gospel? We apply that to the judgment that began in 1844. But my friends, that text in 1 Peter 4.17 has a greater application to our day. It has an application right now. It has an application to you. Because the judgment of the living will soon begin. And when it begins, where does it begin? It begins here, right here. With everyone who has embraced the, the, the Adventist message, it begins with us. And when it begins in the Seventh Adventist Church, it progressively moves through every church until, my friends, the it is finished there, and then it will move out into the other church. And those who refuse the spirit experience of the third angel's message will be passed by and will receive, instead of the seal of God, will receive the mark of the beast. And the latter rain will be falling on many around them, and they will not even discern it nor receive it. They'll call it fanaticism. They'll look at people around and they said, you're causing trouble here in the church. Have you heard that before? You're divisive. 
And my friends, this situation that exists in our churches today is not going to get better. It's going to get worse. In Selected Messages, Volume 2, uh, page 114, we read this inspired statement. The new, a new life is coming from heaven and taking possession of all of God's people. But divisions will come in the church. Two parties will develop. The wheat and the tares grow up together for the harvest. The work will grow deeper and more earnest to the very close of time. And all who are labors together with God will contend most earnestly for the faith once delivered to the saints. They will not be turned from the, from the present message, which is already lightening the earth with its glory. Nothing is worth contending for but the glory of God. The only rock that will stand is the rock of ages. The truth as it is in Jesus is the refuge in these days of error. And again, reading from volume 6, page 400, we read this. We just read that two parties are going to develop in the church. And we see those two parties are already there. But it says here that there is going to be separation and unity all at the same time. God's plan is first to get at the heart, speak the truth, and let them carry forward the reformatory power and principle. Make no reference to what opponents say, but let the truth alone be advanced. The truth can cut to the quick, plainly unfold the word in all its impressiveness. As trials thicken around us, both separation and unity will be seen in our ranks. Some who are now ready to take up weapons of warfare will in times of real peril make it manifest that they have not built upon the solid rock. They will yield to temptation. Those who have had great light and precious privileges but have not improved them will under one pretext or another go out from us. Not having received the love of the truth, they will be taken in the delusion of the enemy. They will give heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils and will depart from the faith. But on the other hand, when the storm of persecution really breaks upon us, the true sheep will hear the true shepherd's voice. Self-denying efforts will be put forth to save the lost, and many who have been strayed from the fall will come back to follow the great shepherd. The people of God will draw together and present to the enemy a united front. In the view of the common peril, strife for supremacy will cease. There will be no disputing as to who shall be accounted the greatest. No one of us, true, one of the true believers will say, I'm Paul, and or I'm Apollos, or I'm Cephas. The testimony of one will be, I cleave unto Christ. I rejoice in him as my personal Savior. So, friends, there is going to be two parties develop in the church, in the Adventist church. There is going to be separation and unity all at the same time. And I say it's here. What do you say? In the, in, uh, in the commentary, volume 7, uh, 985, it says, When the gospel has gone to the world, there will be an attempt to remove the landmarks and the pillars of our faith. And my friends, I say that is happening today. If you look at Evangelism 2.24 and 2.25, she tells us there that there will be an attempt to tear down the great landmark of the sanctuary, and it will be said there is no sanctuary. And my friends, that is happening today. As we begin to analyze our situation tonight, we must understand that we stand at the very portals of the eternal. 
and the last moments will be rapid movements will be rapid ones. In Selected Message, Volume 148, she said, The very last deception is to make of none effect the testimonies of the truth of God. My friends, that's happening today. And so we must understand where we are. We're a hundred years overdue in the kingdom. Why? Because we didn't understand the third angel's message back there. We haven't understood it till this day. But my friends, I pray tonight as you leave this meeting, you have understood it. And that you're ready to go out of this meeting and make a demonstration of what God can do in fallen human beings when they're ready. To merge their will with God's will so that their mind will be God's. Their life will be God's. And God's power is your power. And we can do everything that Jesus did. Because he used no quality or, or no power that you and I can't have. Desire of Ages 664. And so friends, as we go out of here tonight, May we go out of here with the determination by God's grace, by God's power, that we will live his life and that we will put on a demonstration for God in our community, in our church. And my friends, that means that we have to have the power of the Holy Spirit to guide us in our every thought and every word and that we will not defend ourselves, but we will defend truth with our very life. I think that we need to go to prayer. What do you say? Let us kneel tonight. And brother, would you come up and pray for us? Our Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the sure word of prophecy Amen. which is being given us as a light in this dark world. Yes, but Heavenly Father, it seems that so often these priceless messages have gathered dust on our shelves. Yes, right. And we thank thee today that we have been given these little glimpses of the light that we have perhaps deliberately shut our eyes to. Yes, right. We live in solemn times, Heavenly Father, Amen. and that has been borne in upon our hearts today as we have listened to these messages. Yes. And these solemn times demand that we come to Thee with open hearts, not hiding anything from yes. Thine all-seeing eye. Yes. Heavenly Father, we need so much to walk the path that Jesus walked. Amen. To follow the trail that he blazed for us. Yes. We pray that tonight we may come before thee with a renewed commitment. Yes. To do only what thou wouldst have us do. To hold nothing back. Yes. To be people without guile. So that thy Holy Spirit may shine through us. We've heard so much about the demonstration which thou needest. Yeah. Because before Jesus comes, there must be a people who can give the lie Amen. to the 
the devil's accusations against God and our Savior. We know that Jesus waits for the manifestation of his character in his church. We pray that we may wholeheartedly commit ourselves to be used by Jesus Amen. so that his truth and his light may be seen and men may be drawn to his church and he may come. Heavenly Father, we pray that we may be ready to be used by thee so that the work may be finished and Jesus may come soon. Praise God. Amen. Praise God.